Kia ora, I'm Jessie Chang from The Detail. So the other day, a newsletter came through my letterbox from the Auckland Council. Inside was a thing about the circular economy, something the council seems pretty proud to be a part of. A lot of businesses in the city and around the country are also on board. But what is it? And how could it save the country billions? A circular economy is one where we have no waste or pollution. This is James Griffin from the Sustainable Business Network. There's a, a number of ways that we can achieve that and a number of ways that illustrates what that means. One of those would be that the products that we use, everyday products that we use, uh, they're designed to last for as long as possible. So we're not throwing them away. And also, how can we, we use those products more efficiently? So perhaps we need less of those products in the first place. And then uh, when we finish with those products, how can they be reused? So that's the circle on how we can reuse. That's why it's called circular economy. Yeah, if effectively the term circular economy will, will come from um, the notion of, of the products um, circulating back into uh, reuse. So materials um, are used once, then they can be reused again. And so um, the circular economy term picks up on that flow of those materials as opposed to its counterpart, which is a straight line, a linear economy, where materials are used once and then thrown away. The World Economic Forum puts it this way. A planet that needs to provide 50% more energy, 50% more food, 30% more water over the next couple of decades, it simply is not going to happen unless we change the way that we consume. The circular economy is a fundamentally different economic model. It's taking the entire global economy, looking at it through a different lens and saying how can we valorise our economy to a higher level. So never at any point would anything made within a circular economy become waste. In a circular economy thinking, we actually will recuperate the value of the product when it comes to the end of its life cycle. Reusing and recycling isn't new. Pam Ford from the Auckland Council's development arm, ATED, has her take on why it's now in the spotlight. I think circular economy is having its time now. I think, as with most movements, and certainly sustainability and climate change, is much better understood by general public. Um, you know, children at school are going home and telling parents who work in companies, you need to reduce waste and you know, don't use that plastic and all of those sorts of things. You see all over the world uh, markets are responding. So companies that are employing more sustainable practices are attracting more investment. Mm. So there's all sorts of figures. And so once the markets are recognising climate change or sustainability and companies that adopt practices that care for the environment, when the markets recognise, the companies follow because the consumer is demanding change. Right. So the power does lie with the people. I think the power is with the people. I could see the will that people have to be a part of the solution, but ultimately individual actions are not going to be enough. We need a systemic approach to allow it to be really easy for those individual actions to make a collective difference. Nada Piontek wanted to be part of that difference and could see how she could do it. 
In New Zealand, we throw away 295 million single-use cuts each year. Um, around the world, it, that scales up to billions. And those materials and those cuts are used only for a very short period of time and then sent to landfill. Um, in landfill, they break down and create methane, um, and there's an enormous waste of energy and resources that are involved in that process. Piontic is the managing director at Again Again, a coffee cup sharing network encompassing around 190 cafes nationwide. By taking single-use cups out of the equation altogether, um, we can markedly reduce both the emissions profile, the amount of carbon that's going into the atmosphere, um, but also the amount of resource that is um, being utilised in a really wasteful way. And, and so how does Again Again work? We provide a fleet of stainless steel cups and silicon lids that live in cafes and are always available to access for anyone in our community. At the point of ordering, um, a coffee drinker can choose to use one of our cups instead of a single-use cup, and they pay a $3 deposit for that. That deposit is fully refunded when the cup comes back to the network, not just at that cafe, but any of the cafes throughout the country. And what has the take-up been like for your cups that is a how long is a piece of string question. Um, <laughs> in, some, in some cafes and in some areas, it's been phenomenal right from the get-go. Um, we have recently launched in uh, Canterbury University and um, they anecdotally feed back to us that more than 90% of their coffees almost immediately started going out in our system. But on the other end of that scale, in some regions... The coffee drinkers are perhaps less in tune with the sustainability needs of our planet um, and are less inclined to change their habits around coffee. Um, so we definitely see in cafes that are primarily servicing millennial groups, for example, there's a really deep understanding of where the problem lies and the urgency with which we need to address the issues. Mm. And that increased knowledge and increased engagement um, comes both at a consumer level, but also the baristas and the cafe owners who are working in those areas are often more uh, in tune with that as well. So knowledge definitely is a driver, but I'd have to say knowledge on its own is not enough because there are plenty of people for whom um, they have the knowledge, but the need for convenience or their want for convenience um, is still higher. Um, money can also drive things. So we, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that if people are having to pay for the cup, then they are um, far more inclined to think twice about whether they need it or whether they could either get their own personal reusable cup or access uh, our system. A fee is a much stronger driver than a uh, discount for bringing your own cup. Um, so increasingly we are supporting our cafes to actually instill this and um, to charge for the single-use cup so that the coffee drinker has got another reason to make a better choice. Do you find that you're losing a lot of cups? <laughs> uh, no, actually not at all. In fact, we are losing fewer cups than we initially forecast. And then I would also argue that just because a cup is in someone's picnic basket or, or kitchen currently doesn't mean that we've lost it. It means that it's displacing single-use cups elsewhere, but eventually will make its way back to our system too. In Wellington, we've definitely reached that. We're definitely seeing that those cups are coming back, often in bulk. 
And by that stage, the people who started thinking that they were getting a really cheap reusable cup to own, even though that wasn't the terms that they took it out on, have realised the value of the circular uh, nature of our system because nobody actually needs another cup. If the cup itself was the solution, we wouldn't still have the problem. Everybody has got access to a cup somewhere. It's not the cup that people are after. It's having the cup at the counter when you order your coffee that is where the value of our system lies. My name's Victoria Carter, and I founded City Hop Cars by the Hour back in 2007. So how does City Hop work? Well, it's really simple. You go online and register as a member, and then you're mailed an RFID card, and it's that card that will get you access to any kind of car you want. We've even got vans that you can rent by the hour um, if you want to move flats or we've got a lot of business, small businesses who um, need to move their produce or their goods once a week and they rent out Henry the High Ace. Uh, all our cars uh, have names. So um, it's part of creating community. The, the naming of the cars, people get quite attached. In terms of the way that you work out prices, only, you only pay for how long you use the car? You book the car out online for one hour or two hours and that's what you're charged for. And then on some of the cars, there's a kilometre rate. Um, the electric cars have no kilometre rate, so they're, um, a, they've got a different price. Um, and in every car, there's a petrol card. Um, and that's, again, I guess it's part of creating that community. We ask uh, all our members to, when they return the car, to make sure that there's at least a quarter of a tank of fuel for the next person so that they can get to where they need to be. And the, the member doesn't pay for the fuel. The fuel card sorts all that out. But it's part of, you know, it's not like a rental car. Um, you leave the car nice and tidy for the next person. You leave it how you would like to find it. So we are a, a very large car community now. And do you have to pay for membership? It depends what you sign up for. You can sign up for a monthly rate that's charged. Every car is charged differently. What has the take-up been like? We started with three cars. We're now at close to 170. Uh, the only thing that's held us back has been um, the ability to get on-street car parks. The really important thing about car share is it's um, a, a really significant activity for a city that's committed to changing the way people think about cars. No great city in the world is saying, let's have more cars. Yeah. The great cities in the world are saying, how can we work with car share operators, back-to-base providers, to make sure that we can encourage our community, our people, to live with one less car? What can you do when you haven't been able to find on-street parking? Um, we've been lucky enough to um, have, we've got some very good relationships with a number of corporates and um, other parking operators and they've helped us get car park spaces. Um, I think the thing that people don't realise is that car share switches people from low-use car ownership and that unlocks significant financial value for households, which in turn... Uh, benefits communities where the money saved from not owning a car is spent locally. Right, so have you found that people have been saving a lot of money since if they use City Hop? Most people don't want to add up what does my car cost. 
<laughs> Fair. <laughs> and and when they do, they're quite surprised. And I think one of the most underutilised um, assets in most households is the second car. And that's the, the I have a hashtag, one less car. That's the car that I think if more if there was more energy put into encouraging people to get rid of that car, that that would also free up more road space, there'd be more parking, there'd be less road trauma, um, and you'd get better utilisation. I think that I'm coming, going to come back to the circular economy. It's about how can we get better utilisation from unused or rarely used assets, and that's why car share is one of the best examples of um, the, the sharing economy. And it's not just startup enterprises and businesses that are shaking things up. Pam Ford says the circular economy could save ratepayers billions of dollars, with a study two years ago working out the benefits for Auckland by 2030. Through that research, we focused on food, transport and the built environment and looked at what would be the impact if those parts of the economy had a circular economy ethos. And we discovered that Auckland would be better off by 6 to $8 billion and there would be a significant reduction in um, carbon emissions. Right, and how do you arrive to that figure, 6 to $8 billion? That's, that's quite a lot. It's a big number, isn't it? Um, well, that's what the, you know, the analysts worked out through a whole lot of um, quantifiable uh, means um, and understanding what's happening now, what companies are going to be producing, particularly in that food and um, transport and built environment sectors, and through all of their number crunching, that's the number that they came to. So if you think about uh, construction, and uh, a building of houses or other buildings, often organisations will um, take down structures that are already there and think of all of the materials that are within that area and how you might be able to reuse all of those products rather than just dumping them as waste. That's one small example. Similarly with food, if you think about packaging of food, how you could redesign packaging so that it's not thrown in, into waste and it can be reused, or how you be more efficient in your food production so that maybe you use less natural products and resources such as water or basic ingredients, um, and that's a saving for the economy. Has there been any way that you can see that money has actually been saved since 2018? Well, we what we've done since then is um, also identify that companies, we needed to raise the awareness of companies in Auckland about what circular economy was. And that meant uh, working with uh, Circularity, a private sector organisation run by Louise Nash, to come up with a a program that helped them understand how to design for the circular economy. So it's early days. We know that we've got, you know, 10 years to realise some of those findings and we will um, do further studies over the intervening years as to, you know, have, has that money been realised? How many businesses have signed up? So this pilot, which we launched last week, uh, there's 17 companies um, all doing pilot projects that they'll pitch at the end of the program in end of March. And those companies are wide-ranging. So you've got the warehouse, uh, Auckland Transport, through to uh, fashion designers, Ruby uh, and Bobox, who make shoes for um, babies, 
Uh, so a, a range of organisations across sectors. So it's fascinating. It's going to be really exciting seeing what they come up with at the end of this pilot programme. Are there any businesses that you really want to see get on board with circular economy? Every one of them. (laughs) I mean, you know, imagine if it was the way that everybody worked and it was just how we we really thought about designing the product or service that we're providing in a circular way. And, you know, hopefully if we're sitting here in 10 years' time, that is how everybody thinks. Um, But let's be ambitious and really go for it. Is it hard, though, when... You know, some businesses, they're always going to have the model of, I'm going to make this product and I want to sell as much of it as I can. Yeah. So that goes back to the consumer. So if you and I go, well, we don't want a product that's going to break down or we don't want a product that's made from natural resources that uh, can't be replaced. And if you think about the interface example with Ray Anderson, the world's largest manufacturer of carpet tiles, if they could change that around, you know, it was a multi-billion dollar company, there's no excuse for any other companies not to embrace circular economy principles, in my view. But the numbers are currently stacked against how much of the world actually uses a circular economy. Here's James Griffin again. There was a fairly recent study that suggests that it's a very small amount, um, about 10%, uh, and that was looking at all the, uh, well, estimating the, the raw materials that, that are used uh, to f- sort of feed the global economy and produce the stuff we use and eat, and effectively it's saying uh, approximately two-thirds of that is effectively wasted, about uh, 20% um, goes into sort of longer-lasting uh, materials and, and products like housing and infrastructure. And then, uh, yeah, only about 10% is actually reused in one format or other, uh, another. So it, was, it has been referred to as a sort of circularity gap. So we've got a long way to go to reach a, yeah. a really truly circular economy. And how much of the New Zealand economy is... Circular. Well, uh, that's a good question, and I think uh, you know uh, we don't know. I, I think it's it, a it, short answer. It's a short answer, but uh, I would um, I would suggest it's it's perhaps not too far off that global figure. You know, in terms of the the sort of waste data in New Zealand is notoriously lacking in terms of details of what is is effectively being thrown away. But um, you know, we we've we've been identified as as, as one of the highest wasteful countries in the OECD. Um, right. So, um, yeah, I, I think we've got a lot of opportunity to to move to a circular economy. But I suppose, importantly, that, that opportunity has been increasingly recognised by, you know, particularly by um, SBN members. Uh, multiple initiatives and new businesses are tackling circular economy. We're seeing signals from the government that they're encouraging a circular economy. And, um, of course, we're a big exporter, and so overseas markets are also uh, sending these, these signals. So um, we've got a long way to go, but I think we really have started on that journey. That's The Detail today. I'm Jessie Chang. The Detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. Hit the subscribe button to stay across The Detail every day, and if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. 
And thanks to James Griffin, Pam Ford, Nada Piontek and Victoria Carter. Matewa.